This is the Ultimate Attorney Podcast, the podcast for small law firms who want to create a thriving legal practice. Each week, we'll uncover the ways that you can improve your referrals, your marketing, and your business operations, helping you to generate more revenue and elevating your life and your law practice. In each episode, we'll tap into some of the closest guarded secrets from industry titans, thought leaders, and legal specialists. We're glad that you've tuned in. And once again, it's time to help you become an ultimate attorney. Hey, everybody. Dre Redfern here. And Alexis Neely. And welcome back to yet another amazing episode of the Ultimate Attorney Podcast, where in this week, as we start the new year, we're going to kind of take a different direction and talk about you exiting your business or the succession plan that may occur inside of your business. Now, here is the reality is that no matter where you are in your business, whether you are just starting out, whether you're towards the tail end of your career, everyone will exit their business at some point. Maybe that's in a death or unexpected accident. Maybe that's because your business will fold or it, it's closed down or you sell it. And no matter what sort of scenario happens, there are really easy strategies that you can use to put in place to set yourself up for success so that if the you know unexpected does happen to you, the business can still keep going. Or if you do sell your business, that you can get the highest multiple and the greatest amount of money for your business. And this has been going on a lot in my life lately and really talking about these conversations to structure our businesses and some businesses we're working on acquiring. And so, Allie, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into this episode. I am too, because a lot of lawyers are not thinking about this when they're building their law practices. And I wish that I had been thinking about it from the beginning because I could have set myself up for success. I actually did have an exit of my law practice. I did sell my law practice, but unfortunately I sold it in a way where instead of creating value for me, it ended up creating a massive amount of debt. So we're going to talk about how that happened today. And we're also going to talk about what lawyers can do right now, no matter where you are in the stage of your practice. If you're just getting set up or if you've been doing it for 25 or 30 years and you're feeling a lot closer to exit, what can you do now to set yourself up for the best exit from your law practice so you don't have to work until the day that you die unless you want to and you can recognize the value of what you're creating with your law practice whenever it is that you're ready to exit. So, Dre, I'm really curious, what are you seeing are the biggest barriers in as you're in this acquisition process with different firms that you're looking at purchasing in your industry, what are you seeing are the biggest barriers to a successful transition of somebody's business from one owner to another in a way that allows them to recognize value? Yeah, the, the, you know, it's funny you say that. And I think that th this in and of itself, the one thing that I could say we could almost whittle it down to is that the owner or the founder or the managing partner or whatever title you want to put on it does not make themselves replaceable. Mm -hmm. That is that is the simplest way to boil it down. And what I mean by that is that we all think that if we're running the companies or we're leading the charge or whatever it is that we're doing, that we have to be, you know, where the buck stops with us and other people can't make those decisions until something else happens or whatever the scenario may be inside of your business. However, a successful business, a business that gets the highest multiple. And what I mean by this is an EBITDA multiple, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And any business when it's sold will usually go through this EBITDA calculation. 
And the more replier, the easier you are to replace, you will get a higher EBITDA multiple. If you have more reoccurring revenue inside of your law firm, the higher your EBITDA multiple. If you have a long-standing history of your clientele where they come back time and time again, the higher your EBITDA multiple. So all of these things basically go into getting the highest multiple possible for your law firm. And it's so, so important to actually realize that there are things you can do today to set these things up. And so when I say make yourself replaceable, it means that basically you, know, you give certain parts of your team autonomy to run individual components of your business. Or maybe it's not full autonomy, maybe you like slowly give a little bit more responsibility. And you basically get to the point where you can have different segments of your business with checks and balances that can run the business without you actually ever having to be there. And I'm gonna give a perfect example of this because I know that sounds really scary, especially for a lot of the solo or small law firms out there. But I have a client in the financial space and he takes 16 weeks off every single year. Now it's a small boutique business in the financial services world, but 16 weeks off a year. And if he were to pass tomorrow or sell tomorrow, his EBITDA multiple, his selling multiple is going to be absolutely maxed out because the business doesn't need him anymore. Mm -hmm. And that right there is so powerful because when someone comes in and they buy your business, they're saying, okay, John, John Smith, Susie Q, whoever you may be, I want to buy your law firm. I want to buy your book of business. I want to buy you know, the stock or whatever it is in the transaction that they want to set up. If it all hinges on you having to sign the documents or you having to have all of those relationships, you will simply not get as high as a multiple as someone else. And so what we really want to stress here is how can you set up your framework inside of your business to offload some of the responsibilities or tasks or create more automations inside of your business that will allow a lot of these things to not hinge solely on whether you show up, whether you sign that check, whether you have that contact or whether you network, all of these things in order to set your business up for the greatest success as you, you know, eventually exit or have a succession plan. Absolutely. And so I, I want to put this in the framework of the three law practice models that we typically focus on at New Law Business Model, the work from home pro model, the part-time law baller model, or the seven-figure empire builder, law practice empire builder model. And you know, with the work from home pro model, you are building a law practice that really is dependent on you. It's dependent on you seeing three, four, five, six clients every single month. You might have a part-time team member. And yet, you can still set your law practice up for an exit even with that model. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. In the part-time law baller model and the seven-figure law practice empire builder model, you're going to have a team. You're going to have a team in either one of those models, and that's going to make it a lot easier for you to exit for a lot higher of a multiple. So part of this is thinking about it going into when you are choosing the practice model that you're choosing, what would an exit look like for you? Whether it's, again, whether it's you know five years down the road because you've been in practice a long time or 25 years down the road because you're just starting out or even 30 years down the road, what would an exit look like and what would 
would you need to have in place? And as Dre already mentioned, it's automation and it's team support. The other thing that I often see with, let's just um, look at what is the current law practice model that most lawyers are creating look like that really prevents a successful exit. And I'm seeing this a lot because a lot of the lawyers in our new law business model, one of the ways that they are growing their practices is that they are buying other lawyers' practices. And they're buying these practices at pennies on the dollar of what these practices could be worth because the lawyers just didn't set them up themselves up for a successful transition. So the traditional model is one in which you build a law practice that is built completely on you going out and doing networking, you waiting for referrals to come in from the people that you are networking with. You are doing all of the client engagement yourself and you're doing all of the client service yourself. You might have a backlog of clients, let's say, that you've been serving you know, over the lifetime of your practice, but you're not communicating with those clients on a regular basis. You've created some documents for them over the years, but then you've never kept in touch with them. You've never heard from them again. You've never followed up with them again. You don't even have a really organized database. Maybe you've got a bunch of client files, but you don't even have those client contact info in any sort of a database that will allow you to communicate with them regularly. And you don't have your financials set up in a way where you could show those financials to a potential buyer and say, look, this is how much recurring revenue we have coming in. This is how many repeat clients we have over their lifetime because we've been in communication with them. And so every month is brand new. You're having to go out and create new business through networking or waiting for referrals to come in. And honestly, that's not a practice that is worth very much money because really it's just a book of business that you've served in the past. So you might be able to sell that book of business to another lawyer who will then build the systems to follow up with those clients, hopefully bring them back in, hopefully re-engage them and put in place, you know, some systems so that those folks come back in and so that that's actually worth something. But what you can do right now to start to create that value is you can begin to build in the systems and the automation to create a ongoing relationship with your existing clients. You can begin to create a list, a database of prospects that you're communicating with on a regular basis because that's a pipeline. That pipeline is worth something to anybody who's going to come in and buy your practice. And you can begin to systematize and automate so that even if you're the one who is seeing all of the clients right now, it would be easy to train another lawyer on your process for seeing those clients, engaging those clients, bringing in the revenue that actually is not dependent on you. And if you put in place those systems and that automation, even if you're only seeing four to six new clients a month, there's value there in the pipeline of the relationships that you've built. Not just the networking relationships, not just the referral relationships, but the relationships with this prospect pipeline that you're building. And with the systems that you have created to actually be able to serve those clients on an ongoing basis, that's what's going to make your practice ultimately sellable for a much higher multiple of 
you know, whatever your annual revenue is right now, just that's coming in by happenstance. You know, it's funny you, you say that, Allie, because I almost want to give a little tough love here to a lot of our attorney listeners out there and say, because, you know, I, I hear all the time that, you know, I'm the only one who can do this in my firm, right? Um, whether that's networking or whatever else. And it's, and it's an ignorant thought and it's a small minded thought because there are so many people out there that could do what you're doing better than you're doing it. There are very <laughs> few people who are the absolute top of the game and no matter what they're doing. And as the business owner, it's, it's, your, it's your responsibility to be the leader of your firm and really start thinking bigger when it comes to realizing other individuals out there who may be able to do parts of your business better than you do. Now, here's sort of the other side of this. If you're being acquired by somebody and they're coming into your business and they don't see that you know, there's no systems in place, that you're the only person that can do these sorts of things, it's like you know, they start licking their chops because they can get really great uh, accounts, really great you know, assets, really great new business for this acquiring firm. It pennies on the dollar, meaning that you know, you're basically you know, undervalued because you don't have these things in place. However, as Ali mentioned, if you do have these systems in place, you can get that much higher multiple. And now mm -hmm. the other side of this too is that if you're in growth mode and you're not, you're like, I'm, I'm hungry. I want to grow this law firm. You know, I really am. I, I want to you know, take massive action here in 2019. Acquisitions are a really, really great way to do it. In fact, what you can do is you essentially let someone else do all of the hard work, do all of the initial hustling, build that client book, and really you know, build a framework for that business. And then you can oftentimes come in and get it very inexpensively to acquire those clients. And maybe it's you know, two years of earnings or three years of earnings or whatever it would be. How, yeah. as a multiple. However, if you have better retention policies and you have better systems in place and you can keep that client around longer and increase the lifetime value, then really that acquisition can pay for itself very, very quickly. And all of a sudden you're not playing small anymore by just going out and getting, you know, one new piece of business and one new piece of business. You start really thinking like a true business owner acquiring these other firms and thinking more than just a single, you know, point A to point B growing our business. Now we can really get much more, you know, lateral as far as the other ways you can do this. So definitely something to keep in mind. And for those, those attorneys out there, actually I'd say a lot of attorneys out there really don't know how to value their law firm. And if you're in that growth mindset, you want to do these things, that is a great, great advantage for you to think about and consider when you're wanting to grow your law firm in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes it's not even about a multiple of annual revenue. So yeah. for example, I'm advising one of our lawyers right now who is purchasing a practice and she's purchasing a practice from a woman who brings in about $20,000 a month of revenue. But that revenue, because it comes in from referrals and networking and not from systemization, not from any sort of an ongoing relationship with her existing clients or her prospect pipeline, the purchase price of her practice is only $50,000. So this is not about a multiple of revenue. This that is, is heartbreaking. About, it is. It, well, and, and this is two and a half months of rev. Like that is heartbreaking. That's right. Well, and that's the reality for most lawyers when yeah. they're looking at exiting. So this exit plan for this lawyer who's selling her practice for just $50,000 is it's a purchase of her 
practice plus an ongoing job. So this lawyer who is exiting isn't really exiting, right? She's going to get a, an upfront payment and then she's going to get a job. She's getting she, a signing bonus and then a job. Exactly. That, <laughs> that's exactly right. A signing bonus and a job. So you don't want to set yourself up to have to exit in that way because that's not really an exit. That's you just moving from being the owner of a law firm into having a job for the law firm that you used to own. And really that is the kind of exit plan that most lawyers are looking at. It's the only thing that they can see when they're looking at exit. So what could this lawyer do who's been in business for 25 years? She has a great reputation in the community, right? What could she have done before selling her law practice that would have allowed her to sell her law practice for a multiple of revenue and have a true exit? Well, first of all, what she could have done is she could have built a database of her existing clients, as well as all of the referral partners that she has met over the years, as well as all of the potential clients that she meets on an ongoing basis who haven't been ready to hire her. And then she could have been communicating with that database of these different buckets, we'll call them, existing clients, potential clients, and referral partners. She could have been communicating with them on an ongoing basis in a way that would allow her to know that she's got a steady stream of, of business coming in. So that's one thing that she could do that you could do right off the bat or you can do right now. And, and what do those communications look like? Well, we recommend a weekly communication with your database, a weekly email newsletter that goes out. It has very specific structure. Perhaps we can do a future podcast on what that specific structure would look like because I hear so many lawyers say, I don't want to send out a weekly email. People will get tired of me. People don't want to hear from me. People will unsubscribe. <laughs> we can change that. So let's do a future podcast on what does your weekly communication need to look like where people actually want to hear from you. So yep. that's number one. Number two, she could have set things up so that with her existing clients, she has a structure in place to work with them on an ongoing basis. So there's two things that we recommend. One is if you're serving families with estate planning, and by the way, that to me, this is one of the easiest practices to set up for a successful exit because the lifetime value, you heard Dre mention lifetime value, the lifetime value of an estate planning client when you are serving that client in the right way is significant. The first engagement that you have with them where they're just getting their estate planning set up is just the very beginning of a lifetime relationship that has a lot of value to them and a lot of value to your law firm. Again, when you set it up right, what that requires is for you to be in regular communication with those clients and build in at the very least, at the very least, a review structure where you are reviewing their plan every three years. You don't have to charge for that because they will need updates to their plan no matter what when you're reviewing those plans every three years. So you could do that at no charge. We also recommend that you build in an annual updating process that people pay for. Most of our lawyers who have that in place, they're either charging $99 a year for that. Obviously, that doesn't cover the updates or they're charging something like $49 a month, which would include the updates. And so that's something that we teach our lawyers to do as part of the new law business model is set up that ongoing review structure. 
Why? Because the long-term value, the lifetime value of the client actually really pays off for you and your firm and for the family when they become incapacitated or when they die. The way most lawyers have it set up is they don't have that ongoing review process. The client that they serve, that they created documents for, becomes incapacitated or they die. The family finds those documents and they actually don't go back to the lawyer who created them often. They don't have an ongoing relationship with that lawyer. So they just go out and they find another lawyer to handle the estate administration, the probate, the trust administration, whatever has to happen, the incapacity work, whatever has to happen after that person's become incapacitated or dies. And now some other lawyer captures the value of the relationship that wasn't maintained by the lawyer who first created it. So you want to have that process for creating a relationship by the way, not just with the client that you served, but with the family that's going to need to handle things after that client dies. Because really the substantial lifetime value of that client happens when they become incapacitated or when they die and you're able to maintain the relationship with the family. And so if you can show how you're maintaining those relationships, you can show a potential buyer all of the future revenue that is really stacked up and ready to come in in the future once that happens. So that's that's the second way. And then the third way is that you really set up your financial systems so that you're able to show a potential buyer what you've got coming in consistently, steadily, predictably, and how that is coming in. When you can show your financials in a way that shows that you are not just a practice owner, not just a practice owner, but actually a business owner, and that you can train somebody else on how to go out and, for example, do your presentations that's bringing in all of the clients. When you could show that you could train somebody else on how to engage the clients because you have a system for doing it. You have a script where you know exactly what you say. You know that every time you sit down with somebody, they are going to hire you. They're going to choose one of your packages. And then you actually have a system in place where you're not the only one delivering on those services. So one of the things that we guide our lawyers to do when they're serving families is they go out and they do presentations. They then sit down with the client and engage the client. But at that point, everything gets handed over first of all, gets put into an automated system and then gets handed over to a client services director who's a non-legal professional who actually shepherds the clients through a process that turns them into raving fans. If you have a system and a process like that in place, and then you have the financials to back that up to show this is how much we put into our marketing every month, this is how many clients that brings in as a result, and then that's how we serve those clients, and this is the expected lifetime value of those clients, because we're communicating with them on an ongoing basis, now you can show a potential buyer, we've got an actual business and a system here, not something that's just dependent on me going to these networking meetings every week and building relationship with these referral partners and waiting for them to send us business and hoping that it comes in and hoping that those clients engage. The wait and hope sound uh, doesn't sound like a really great strategy to really uh, build your business on anyway, especially when it comes to the networking and the growing side of things. Absolutely. And, and so I want to share where I failed in the sale of my own law practice so that people can learn from it because yeah, I didn't let's do know. It. Yeah. You know, I was, I was only in business for four years at that point and 
I didn't know what I was doing from the perspective of exits and succession or really even managing my financials. The thing that I had gotten really good at at that point is I had created a new practice model from the perspective of serving an audience of young families in my community who then often brought in their parents. So I was serving as well their parents and, and also the ultra high net worth families and then serving their businesses. So I had a system for going out and getting the clients and engaging those clients. That part I was really good at. I had even trained other lawyers in my office to go out and be able to do presentations successfully. I'd even trained other lawyers in my office to be able to go out and you know, know that when a client comes in, they're going to engage that client at an affordable premium fee. And then that my office was going to be able to deliver on those services. So as a result, we had a million dollar a year revenue generating business. So we should have been able to sell that business for a multiple of revenue. But because I didn't understand the financials, and frankly, the financials of the business terrified me at that time, you know, my mindset was just bring in more money, then I'll make enough money <laughs> to not have to really understand the financials of my law practice. That was a huge error. So when I went out to sell my law practice, actually, Dre, this is a funny story. The very first thing I actually did is I ran a contest to find a buyer for my business. I like and that idea. <laughs> it was That's so awesome. great. It was so great. Unfortunately, as part of this practice, and I had a lot of people apply. And unfortunately, as part of this, again, because I didn't understand the financials and because I was very emotionally wrapped up in it and making my decisions from an emotional place, not a logical place, I actually didn't have coaching on this because I was embarrassed to ask for help here because I really didn't understand what I didn't understand. I, didn't, I, I knew that I didn't know, but I didn't even know the right questions to ask. So I ultimately, I chose the wrong buyer. I chose the wrong buyer. I chose a buyer who had legal experience, but did not have business experience. I figured, well, I've already created the business systems, so I could just bring in a lawyer who's got all of this legal experience, and then he'll just be able to step right into my systems, and he'll just be able to run the practice. The other thing I didn't do is I didn't at all look at his financial background. I didn't even look at, so I financed the practice, the sale of the practice, and I said, oh, well, he'll be able to pay me monthly out of my revenue that he's going to be able to keep bringing in. So I think we sold the practice in maybe August of 2008 was the time frame. January 1st of 2009, he sat down with me and he said, I'm not going to be able to make the payments to you. I can either give you back the practice and you can run it yourself or I can shut it down. Now, how did that happen? How in six months did he take a million dollar practice from where it was bringing in a consistent more than $100,000 of revenue every single month to not being able to make payments to me? What happened there? And what can you learn from it? So what happened there is that I didn't realize that in order to be a million dollar a year business owner, you need to be consistently making $600,000 or more a year of investments in that business. That means that you're writing checks every month for around fifty dollars to $60,000 
And that's for staff, that's for marketing, that's for technology, right? Those are going to be your biggest expenses, staff, marketing, and technology. So when he came into the practice, he sees all this money coming in. And because he doesn't have his own financial stability, he doesn't, he's never run a million dollar business. He starts saying, well, I want to start to get lean. I want to start to trim the expenses here. So what did he trim first? He fired the marketing director. Oh, no. Yes. (laughs) This is a big expense. We're paying this person something like $5,000 a month. Well, I can recapture that. Then he stopped running the marketing. He stopped running the marketing. I can't recall. Maybe we're putting $5,000 a month into marketing. So he says, well, I'm going to recapture this $10,000 a month, and I'm going to start putting that in my pocket, or I'm going to use that to pay Alexis. Then, you know, all of a sudden, the clients aren't coming in. And he says, where's all the clients? Why aren't the clients coming in? It's your fault, Allie. Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so, you know, he cuts the two most important expenses because he doesn't understand that that's actually what fuels the whole thing. You've got to be making those marketing investments in the marketing that continues to work. The other thing that I saw is that we had some outstanding receivables for trust administrations. These were big big, big amounts of money, like $50,000 that was anticipated to come in. But because he did not actually know how to serve those clients, he knew how to serve them from a legal perspective. He knew how to handle it from a legal perspective. But because he did not know how to handle it from a connection perspective, he ended up completely screwing those relationships in such a way where the people that owed these outstanding balances did not want to pay them, did not want to pay them because they did not like the way that he was dealing with them. He wasn't returning phone calls on a timely basis. He wasn't keeping them updated as to what was going on. This is where so many lawyers fail. He wasn't staying in connection with them in the process. And now all of a sudden, he's not able to collect on these receivables. And he's wondering, why can't I collect on these receivables? So what I realized is you cannot take, when you become a million dollar business owner, a million dollar law practice owner, that does not happen overnight. You actually become a different person in the process. You become somebody who can make $60,000 of investments every single month and who can manage that you know, what that feels like. That feels like something. (laughs) That feels like something that's a lot different than when you're trying to keep things as lean as possible, when you're trying to spend as little as possible. And so you become a million dollar law practice owner in the process. And as you become that million dollar law practice owner, you become a different person inside. And so you want to start looking at who are you becoming as you step into becoming a million dollar law practice owner and what are the systems and the mindset that you are going to create for yourself in the beginning stages, wherever you are right now, that is going to turn you into that million dollar law practice owner so that when you are ready to exit, you actually have something to sell and you can choose the right buyer. And when you choose the right buyer, you're going to choose somebody who has that same mindset that you have, not just that they legally technically can do what you do, but they can actually keep the systems flowing. They can actually keep your team happy. They can actually keep your clients happy and they can actually keep making the investments that they're going to need to make in order to keep the whole system going and ultimately pay you if you're financing the purchase. 
You know, there's, there's a couple resources that I would like to share because Al, I think ever, I agree with everything that you just said. And I think that it's difficult for us to also go, you know, much, much deeper in a 30 minute episode into all of the literally hundreds, if not thousands of facets to possibly structure these deals or things to think about. But there's two books I think that I would recommend to help our listeners. The first one is going to be the Replaceable Founder by a guy named Ari Mizell. And Ari and I have been in the same mastermind for a few years, and I love everything that he talks about because a lot of it is about systems and automations and a lot of the, you know, that you don't have to always follow the cool thing that everyone else is doing to get massive results and have it be very quick and easy to do so. So highly recommend that, especially for the attorneys who are wanting to create more of these systems and processes into their law firms. The other one, is going to be The Braveheart Exit by a guy named Randy Long. And Randy is a, he's an attorney. He's a, a CFP, Certified Financial Planner. And that book is much more geared towards individuals who have something substantial. Maybe it's a law firm and they're looking to sell it. They're looking to exit and really be able to not only you know get the highest multiple on that sale price, uh, and they can help you do that, and they can help you structure it before the sale occurs, but also then how to basically structure this windfall that you might have to uh, to set yourself up for success financially and your family, yes. and maybe even your you know future generations. So, two sides of it, two different resources that I think that our listeners may get a lot from when it comes to either you know growing to an exit or actually then exiting their business. Yeah. And I, I would love to say that there are certain practice areas as well that are more exitable than others. And those are the practice Absolutely. areas yeah. that really lend themselves to systemization. This is the other reason that I really love serving families and small business owners and or small business owners in a new way, because these are highly systematizable practice areas where you can build lifetime relationships with your clients. And then you can create the systems and the automation so that your practice is really worth something and you can transition that successfully over time. So one of the other resources that I want to make sure that you look at is the Money Map for Lawyers that we've created, moneymapforlawyers.com, because this is where you're going to be able to build in the foundation of your cash forecasting that you need in order to understand when are you going to make the investments in systems, automation, team, what order do you need to do things in, how many clients do you need to be engaging each month and at what average fee to hit your personal financial and time goals so that you can make these investments, how are you going to go from wherever you are now to, you know, this work from home pro, part-time law baller or seven-figure empire builder model. So if you haven't yet gone through the Money Map for Lawyers, you can do that. It's totally free at Money Map for lawyers.com. That's going to give you that foundation that you need to be able to start to build towards your exit with the kind of clarity that it takes to do that so that you're making your choices based on this logic of what are you creating and then what are you going to need to do to do that rather than the emotion of, oh God, it's so stressful. I don't know what to do. I don't know where my next new client is going to come from. I don't even know how many clients I need to have. I don't even need, know exactly how to price and package my services billing everything on an hourly basis, no sort of ongoing relationship with your clients. So you really can set yourself up for success. A law practice is one of the best businesses to do this with. You're really lucky you have a law degree. 
when you use it in the right way. So yes, start thinking about exits and succession now wherever you are in your law practice today, if you're just starting out or if you're 25 years down the road and you're starting to think, hmm, what can I do now to transition successfully so that I don't have to work until I die? So that's it for today on exits and succession. Um, Dre, I think in our next podcast, we're going to be looking at how to look back over the prior year to see what worked and how to mine that information about what worked and what didn't work to make this year your best year ever. That's right. Looking forward to that one. We're really also going to cover and throw in some of the best marketing strategies that we've used across multiple industries, including the legal industry, to really give our listeners a leg up on the competition heading into 2019. So we're looking forward to seeing all of you next week in the next episode of the Ultimate Attorney Podcast. See you there. Hey there, Dre Redford here, and I have one last thing for you. If you haven't already done so, please go to ultimateattorneypodcast.com to access all of the resources and free downloads that we've discussed in this episode and all of the other amazing episodes on the Ultimate Attorney Podcast. While you're there, be sure to look on the right-hand side of the page to enroll to receive some of our free premium content simply by entering your name and email address. Now, when you do that, you'll be the first to know when we release a new episode, you'll get all sorts of expanded resources and additional content that is only available exclusively to the listeners of the Ultimate Attorney Podcast. And while you're at it, as we said earlier, please be sure to share this episode with your friends, your family, and other attorneys who may benefit from this episode. Because whoever shares these episodes and the Ultimate Attorney Podcast the most this month will win a product from either Ali or myself that's valued between $1,000 and $3,000. So what are you waiting for. Go share the Ultimate Attorney Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.